Good morning. Hi, everybody. Man, a t-shirt on Sunday morning? What are we doing here, right? All right, there is only one t-shirt that is appropriate to wear on this Sunday morning, right? We are launching the King series last week. We are in part two, and all of a sudden I get done with last week's service, and my high school pastor comes up to me, and he goes, you know that's the theme of our ministry, right? Well, I didn't. So anyway, he's like, I'll get you a shirt. So I am now wearing the HSM shirt and it's who's your king. And the whole thing is on the Zechariah passage, right? So how awesome is this shirt? So not only am I representing an awesome ministry, but this is the perfect shirt to wear this weekend as we are talking through this series. Now, I want to just let you know one insider information. The shirt is unwashed. Uh, I've been wearing it every service, got another one to go. I just need you to know that when you hug me. All right, cool. Let's, let's move on here, yeah? All right. Welcome to everybody online. Hi to all of you. We are in part two of our King series, and we have a lot to cover, so we're going to dive right in. I need you to take out your Bibles, take out the handout sheet that was given to you, or fire up your app, right, to be able to take some notes Make sure you got a pen handy. We're going to be jotting down some things today. We are in part two of the King series, and I entitled today's message, Replacing the King of Kings. Replacing the King of Kings. If you need a little bit of time to get to the passage we're going to be studying together, it is 1 Samuel chapter 8, verse 9. 1 Samuel chapter 8, verse 9. If you need a Bible, there's one under the seat in front of you. It's around page 230. 230 will get you there a little faster. As you know, we have yearly themes, and if you were not here last weekend, we have kicked off the year of the king. We're going to be studying and getting our alignment with the king of kings and being able to understand his kingdom, how to live in it, how to be ambassadors for the kingdom, the power and authority that comes with the kingdom, All of that. So we're going to be diving in and studying the kings of Israel. And so I got a couple foundational pieces before we dive into that. This week is one of those. All right. I'm going to read a couple passages before we get to the one you turn to. So don't worry about that. I'll just read it. You can just listen. But I want to begin with a very important verse. And it's Psalm 103, 19. It says this. The Lord has established his throne in the heavens, and his kingdom rules over all. God is the king of all creation. He is the one that made it. He's the one that sustains it. He's the one that is intimately involved in it. That there is only one creator. There is the uncaused cause, and there's everything else, right? So when he says... The heavens are merely his throne room. We think, oh, the Lord lives in heaven. Don't you understand he's so much bigger than that? The heavens are simply his throne room. The earth he refers to as his footstool. What we consider all of our lives, he considers merely an object in his household. He is that great, that massive. If you can imagine it, God's bigger than that. You understand what I'm saying? So he is the king over all creation. And he ended up creating a people for himself so that his kingdom would be known here on earth. And he did so through a man named Abraham. That became the Jewish people that we know today. And if you remember a little bit about their story is that, and we're going back thousands and thousands of years, that the people of Israel, as they were walking with them, found themselves in slavery to Egypt for over 400 years. This is where they became more numerous. And at one point, God has a man named Moses, right? Comes in, let my people go, right? It's always that dramatic thing. It would have been funny to find out that he didn't sound at all like Charlton Heston. And he sounded like, you know, some awkward squeaky voice or something. That would be weird. But anyway, Charlton Heston is probably the true Moses. That's all right. Let my people go, is this kind of thing, right? So when they get out of Egypt, that whole Red Sea parting and the plagues and all that stuff, they end up 
at a mountain. And that's where God says, you guys, I have a plan. I am your king. You are my kingdom. And I just want to read this passage to you. It comes out of Exodus 19. I'll read a little paraphrase of it. After the people of Israel had gone out from the land of Egypt, they encamped in the wilderness. There Israel encamped before the mountain while Moses went up to God. The Lord called out to him out of the mountain, saying, Thus shall you say to the house of Jacob and tell the people of Israel, If you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession among all peoples, for all the earth is mine, and you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. And all the people answered together and said, All that the Lord has spoken, we will do. All right, so now we have the king of all creation. He has his own people that are his kingdom. His cabinet of leaders were judges and priests. You had the political movers. You had the religious movers. And God was orchestrating through them. Then when we get to the story of Joshua, where he's going to take the promised land, one of the first stories is before they're going to take their first major town, the town of Jericho, a man walks up, a mighty looking man walks up to Joshua with a sword in his hand. Well, Joshua's a fighter. So he's thinking, all right, here we go. Let's do this. And Joshua says, are you for me or for our enemies? And what was the response? Neither. I'm the commander of the army of God. I just changed the whole story right now. Take off your shoes. You're on holy ground, buddy. Right? It was there that he realized he was talking not just to a man. He was talking to the commander of God's army. So you have a king. You have a cabinet of leaders. You have the warrior that is leading. And who is that? But Jesus before the manger. The second person of the Trinity. Whenever you see visible God... You're seeing the second person of the Trinity. There was Jesus, the commander of all the warriors of heaven. Isn't it such an amazing wonder that when the angels were so amazed when he becomes flesh and dwells among us and he's this little tiny baby and they're thinking, isn't that our commander in chief? Like, like that guy is awesome. Like, how dare they treat him like that, right? They had a very different perspective. But here's the interesting piece about it. God knew that at some point they were going to trade him out for another king. He actually prophesies about that. He says this in Deuteronomy 17. He said to Israel, When you come into the land that the Lord your God is giving you, and you possess it and dwell in it, and then you will say, I will set a king over me like all the other nations that are around me. All right. You may indeed set a king over you whom the Lord your God will choose. Meaning, I know you're going to want to replace me. I would like to select my replacement. All right. Now, there's a couple things I need him to do and not do. So let's be real clear on this. He is not allowed to amass for himself massive opulent wealth. He is not allowed to amass for himself multiple wives and connect in with other nations. He needs to find a copy of God's word and hang on to it and live in that every day. That's the type of king that I want running my nation. Now, we're going to find out a little bit later that doesn't exactly work out very well, but that was the intention. Let's make it personal as I draw your attention to the fill in the blank there on your sheet. No matter how many leaders are around you, there is only one true king. No matter how many leaders are around you, there is only one true king. What does that mean? It means sometimes we start believing that everything we see around us is everything there is. That we start thinking that the people that are pushing us around are really in charge. They are not. God is in charge. When you go to work, your boss is not your boss. Jesus is your boss. If you try to work for your boss, you're going to ebb and flow based on how they treat you or whether they are worthy of respect. If you work for Jesus, 
you are consistent in who you are. Do not buy the hype that people rule over you. God rules over you. Do we have managers? Do we have leaders? Do we have different people in this world that need to tell us what to do? Yes, but they are not our king. We have dual citizenship. We live here, but our home is there. Does that make sense? Ah, it's very important. Jesus said a similar thing. He said, I call God in heaven my father. I call the first person of the Trinity my father. I want you all to use that phrase too. We cry out, Abba, father. He said, on this earth, you all have a father, but he isn't really your father. Meaning he plays a role, he does things for you, he instructs you, he guides you, but he is not your ultimate authority. You have many fathers in this world, but there is only one true father. It all has to do with who is the authority over your life, who's your king, yeah? Isn't that what we're studying? All right, this is where we need to start taking some notes. Okay, so if you are a note taker, I want you to write down four names. One of the tricky parts about reading the Bible is all the names, right? A lot of them are dumb. A lot of them are cool, right? Whatever. If you got a biblical name, that's cool. My name's not biblical. My name's just Lance. Means sharp, pointy object, right? All right, that's cool. I can ride a horse and stab you. That's about all I can do, right? All right, so some of you are like, God is my Lord, you know, these types of things. All right, your name's cool, I get it. All right, but I need you to write down these four names because they go in this order. I want you to write down Samuel, Saul, David, Solomon. It always goes in that order, Samuel, Saul, David, Solomon. As you write down those, we're going to be going through all four of those major characters this morning. Now, what that means is we're going to be hauling, right? We're going to go real fast. The reason you want to write them down is if you ever think in your mind, oh my gosh, when's he going to stop talking? You can check it off, right? You're like, oh my gosh, we're almost a Solomon. This is awesome. I can go eat, right? And then you check that off. Fantastic. So write that down. Now, I think we all appreciate that when you have a novel, but you have a test at school, that you can get a Cliff Notes or a Spark Notes version. Can we all agree with that? Yeah, we all want those. The cheater version, the little tiny shortened version. What's super cool is the New Testament sometimes does that with the Old Testament. They'll do a recap, right? So I want to tell you why studying the Israelite kings matters to you by reading something out of the New Testament. You can just listen. It's Acts chapter 13, 20 through 23. It says this, speaking of the Israel people, all of this took about 450 years. And after that, God gave them judges until Samuel, the prophet. Then they asked for a king and God gave them Saul, the son of Kish, a man of the tribe of Benjamin for 40 years. And when he had removed him, he raised up David to be their king, of whom God testified and said, I have found in David, the son of Jesse, a man after my heart who will do all my will. Of this man's offspring, God has brought to Israel a savior, Jesus, just as he promised. Why does all this matter that we are studying? Because everything leads to King Jesus right? He is our true king. We want to study the Old Testament that we might understand the New Testament that we might understand today and how God operates. We want to know that when Jesus shows up talking to a bunch of Jews with an Old Testament mindset, he uses certain phrases and words that they understood. If we don't know the Old Testament, the new one is a little bit harder to read and then it's hard to apply to our lives today. So all of this matters. It leads back to King Jesus. Let's dive into these four gentlemen. All right. We're going to begin with Samuel. He had a fascinating beginning. Now, his mom's name was Hannah. Hannah couldn't have any children. Like many of the women in the Bible, she was what is referred to as barren or infertile. She cried out to God day and night that he would give her a child. Then, a little later in her years, 
God heard that prayer, answered that, and gave her a miracle baby. She said, if you give me a child, I will dedicate him into your service, literally, for all the days of his life. She has this baby, as soon as he is weaned, she takes him to the temple, to the high priest Eli, hands him over, and then just visits him all the time, and he is raised in the presence of God in the temple area, right? Now, it's not a temple yet. It's kind of a little makeshift thing, but he got to hang out with the high priest, and he slept next to the Ark of the Covenant, right? Now, I mean, it must have been normal to him, but man, that's cool, right? If you got an Indiana Jones golden box right next to you in your room, that's awesome. It's the presence of God. Well, God had been silent for a long time. One day, he starts to sleep and he hears a voice. Samuel, Samuel. He thinks it's Eli, so he runs over to him. Eli's like, dude, I didn't call you. Go back to bed. This happens multiple times and they finally realize, wait, God is calling. Now you have to understand that if you're the high priest, Eli, and God's not talking to you, but he's talking to some young kid, that's insulting. Eli's smart enough to know that you don't mess with God. So even though his sons were corrupt and everything was falling apart, he said, Samuel, I want you to go back and I want you to say, speak, Lord, your servant is listening. There he is sleeping next to the Ark of the Covenant, and here comes God. And basically, God tells him this, Eli's done, I'm messing up this whole place, we're going to start over and we're using you. In the morning, Eli Eli says, hey, so what did he say? (laughs) How awkward is that? After some hemming and hawing, he tells him, and Eli says, God's going to do what God's going to do. And what we find out is as he's raised up in the temple... The only other time we really care about Eli is really in how he died. You see, Eli knew that the presence of God meant everything for the nation. And he always attached it to the golden box. One day there was a war with the Philistines. He's sitting out at the edge of his tent. He's very old. He cannot see. And he hears all this tumult, all this confusion and chaos and he says what's going on i can't see and somebody says the philistines have stolen the ark of the covenant at the sound of that he falls backwards snaps his neck and dies you have a shift of leadership and samuel begins to rise up he becomes a circuit judge and judges he's the last of them if you want to think about judges think about people like samson and Deborah. They were localized leaders that led the nation into a victory. So for example, Samson went head to head with the Philistines, beat them all up. Now we all can agree that Samson was kind of an idiot. Yeah. All right. If you study his story, not the sharpest tool in the shed. Yeah. But he delivered the people and they thought, since you're big and bad, we want to follow you. And so they were localized leadership. Samuel was the last one of those and starts putting organization to the nation. Now, last couple things about this story that I think is very important. Christianity teaches a personal God. And I think a lot of times we have this concept of the Old Testament God is one, New Testament God's another. Old Testament God's mean and distant, New Testament God's nice and close. I need you to understand the fact that God calls people by name. It's not just Samuel. It's Moses. Moses, right? God is personal. The only reason why we are here, in my estimation, is two things. The whole reason why mankind exists, in my opinion, is two things. Number one, glory to God. Number two, relationship with our Creator. That's it. I don't, you may have another reason. I just can't think of it, right? He always wants relationship. Christianity talks about a personal relationship. The same God who was, the same God who is, the same God who always will be wants a personal relationship with his people. Please do not ever allow your faith of Christianity to become a distant religion. God is always personal. 
you need to have a personal talk with him, a personal engagement with him, a personal experience with him. That is Christianity. It's always been that way. Now, Samuel's sons were not awesome. Would you just read the passage I had you turn to with me? Because we have a big shift in the nation of Israel. 1 Samuel 8.1 When Samuel became old, he made his sons judges over Israel. Now you're going to be like, Lance, I thought you said he's the last one. Hold on. The name of his firstborn son was Joel. The name of his second, Abijah. They were judges in Beersheba. Yet his sons did not walk in his ways, but turned aside after gain. They took bribes and perverted justice. A couple things real quick. One is the reason they don't count is they only had the title. They didn't have the heart. You're not a judge just because somebody told you that you're a judge. You're not a pastor just because somebody put the name on you that's a pastor. Unless your heart is that of a pastor, you are not a pastor. Do you understand what I mean? That a lot of people are throwing around titles, but unless you own it, unless you mean it, you're not one of those. These guys were all after the cash. Are there leaders today that are only after the cash? Yeah, that doesn't make them a leader in my life. It just makes them a figurehead, right? Second thing, is it possible for someone that's an awesome believer that loves God with all their heart and their children really struggle in their faith and do the wrong thing? Is that possible? Yeah, if you're a parent, you know that, right? We can't control our children. We influence our children. All right, we'll talk about that in a little bit. Let's go back to the story. Verse 4, then all the elders of the big dogs of Israel gathered together and came to Samuel at Ramah. And they said to him, behold, you are old. I wish they would have just stopped there. That would have been hilarious. Hey, we just wanted a meeting real quick. We all know you're old. All right, fantastic. Let's go home. Behold, you are old and your sons do not walk in your ways. Now appoint for us a king to judge us like all the other nations. But this thing displeased Samuel when they said, give us a king to judge us, right? Now, why did it bother him? Because he's the leader and they're like, yeah, so you're going to die and we want a different one because this ain't working and your kids are lame, right? So that's a little offensive. But he also knows that the reason they have judges was because God was king and they just needed managers, To ask for a king is to replace out God's authority. You see, Israel was a theocracy. We've heard the phrase democracy a lot, a government of the people. That was not Israel. Theocracy is a government of God. God tells them what to do. They discern his voice. They carry it out. That's how it works. They're asking to shift from a theocracy to a monarchy. That's very different. They want an earthly king like everybody else has. Okay, we're going to keep going. And Samuel prayed to the Lord. And the Lord said to Samuel, Obey the voice of the people in all that they say to you. For they have not rejected you, but they have rejected me from being king over them. And according to all the deeds that they have done from the day I brought them up out of Egypt, even to this day, forsaking me, serving other gods, so they are doing to you. Now then, obey their voice, only you shall solemnly warn them and show them the ways of the king who shall reign over them. All right, I'm going to paraphrase this part. Here's what he's saying. Okay, you guys want a king, you don't want me. I need you to know what you're signing up for. Let's be real clear. The dude you bring forward is going to grab the best of your men and he's going to send them to war. He's going to grab the best of your women and have them work for him. He's going to tax the living daylights out of you and he's going to take all your cash. Everybody cool with that? That's what a king means. All right. Verse 18, and in that day, when everything falls apart, you will cry out because of your king, whom you have chosen for yourselves, but the Lord will not answer you in that day. 
But the people refused to obey the voice of Samuel. And they said, no, there will be a king over us that we may be like all the other nations. Hmm. That our king may judge us. That our king may go out before us and fight our battles. When Samuel had heard all the words of the people, he repeated them in the ears of the Lord. And the Lord said to Samuel, obey their voice and make them a king. Hmm. What did God just say? It's not going to go well for you guys. There you go. Just telling you right off the bat. Why isn't it going to go well? Because they are looking for a human being to lead them ultimately. Human beings will always disappoint you. You're never going to have a spouse that's going to be everything. You're never going to have a friend that's going to do everything right. You're never going to have a boss that's going to be the perfect boss. It doesn't happen. Why? Because broken people are leading broken people. What happens if a blind man leads a blind man? They both end up in the pit, right? Because human shoulders are not strong enough to carry human hearts. Do you understand what I mean? The only one that should have the authority... The only one that has the power to carry people's hearts is King Jesus. His shoulders are broad. His shoulders are mighty. He can carry us. He will never disappoint you. Any disappointment you've ever had in God was because you didn't have your facts straight. He doesn't mess up. We may not understand what he's doing. We may be bitter about how it went down, but that's because we don't have all the facts, right? All right. It's not going to go well. Leadership by man will never be sufficient. That's why we got to keep our eyes up. Okay. So real quick pause here. I want to talk about the books of the Bible that are in the Old Testament that maybe you are afraid to open up in your morning coffee, right? That we got this 1st and 2nd Samuel, 1st and 2nd Kings, 1st and 2nd Chronicles. I'm going to make them super easy for you, right? Here we go. 1st and 2nd Samuel is simply Saul and David. That's it. So if you ever want to study those guys, great. Those two books are awesome for you. First, second Kings are Solomon and the rest of the dudes. There you go. Chronicles lays over the whole top and tells the whole story again from a different perspective. Now, why that's important is when you're reading through, all of a sudden some dude comes back to life. You're like, I thought you died two books ago. Why are you back here? It's the same era different perspective so first chronicles is only about david second chronicles is all about the divided kingdom all the other little guys that's why we're studying them the way that we are all right now one last piece before we move on how long ago is this saul was brought on as king in 1050 bc we're going back 3,000 years in history. All right? Good enough. All right, let's move forward. The next name on the list is who but King Saul. Here we go. The first king of Israel. He has an interesting story. Would you turn with me to 1 Samuel 9, verse 1? It should just be the next page. All right, that makes it easy. Here we go, page 231 or 230. I want you to see how they selected out the first king of Israel. This is brilliant. Ready? Here we go. There was a man of Benjamin whose name was Kish, the son of Abiel, the son of blah, blah, the son of blah, blah. Nobody cares. End of verse one. He was a Benjaminite, a man of wealth. Okay, that's super important. So Kish is very, very wealthy. Verse two. And he had a son whose name was Saul, a handsome young man. There was not a man among the people of Israel more handsome than he. From his shoulders upward, he was taller than any of the other people. And there you go. All right, fantastic. There you go. How did you select your king? Dude, that guy is hot. I'm sorry, what did you just say? Uh, He's really handsome. I don't know. Yeah, what does that have to do with his qualifications? Have you seen him? Oh, no, no, I saw him. No, he's really good looking. No, I gotcha. I heard that. But is there anything else? Yeah, have you seen how tall that guy is? Man, that guy is tall. Like a head taller than everybody. No, okay, I got you. I got you. Dude's rich. He's rich, and that makes him qualified. Why? I don't know. He's rich. 
Okay, so there you go. There's your big qualification. This is the first king of Israel. He's handsome, he's tall, and he's rich. That's it. What in the world? What a stupid way to pick a leader. Right? Let me ask you a quick question. How do we choose our leaders today? Come on. I mean, if you think about the political process and how a lot of things go on, it's kind of like, well, that guy's handsome. Well, that guy's tall. Well, that, you know what I mean? Here's the point. We keep selecting people based on their outward packaging. But what's their content and character of their heart? Why is that not an issue that we're looking at? We're not looking at character. We're looking at, well, were they successful in business? Well, were they, what does that have to do with following God? You understand what I mean? We are Christians above all. So when we're looking out, we have to be real careful that we're not falling into the same trap. Well, he looks great. Well, he's wealthy. Well, careful, guys. Just watch what happens. We're going to watch this whole thing play out in Israel. Here we go. So this is how Saul's story starts. It all starts with missing donkeys. Right now, because I'm an adult, I'm going to try to keep this PG-13, right? Because there's all kinds of jokes I can make with lost donkeys right now. But anyway, he can't find his donkeys, right? It's his dad's donkeys. Let's just make a point there. So he's looking for them, ends up in a neighborhood, and he's like, hey, he's with his buddy. Dude, this guy named Samuel lives here. He is a seer. He can do like supernatural cool stuff. I wonder if he knows where our donkeys are. So they go to find Samuel. God comes to Samuel and says, hey, this dude that's coming up to you right now, that kid right there, he's going to be the first king of Israel. Just like that. Oh, it's an accidental donkey story, right? So Samuel takes him aside and God says, he will rescue his people from the Philistines. All right, cool. Samuel anoints him with oil and tells him, oh, your donkeys are back home. God brought him back home himself, right? He's like, oh, that's super good. Oh, and you're going to be the king of Israel. And when you leave here, you need the power of the Holy Spirit to do this. So as you're going home, you're going to come upon a group of prophetic people and you're going to get hit by the Holy Spirit and you're going to start prophesying and be turned into a different sort of man. Bye-bye. Saul's like, this is the weirdest day I've ever had. So he starts walking along, comes upon a little group of prophets. They have their little pipe that all, right? They're doing their little thing. They're like, oh, I'm prophesying, prophesying. And all of a sudden Saul comes walking up, never been involved in this. Boom, Holy Spirit hits him, drops him. He starts prophesying and being all bizarre and crazy. And God's like, all right, here we go. That's how it starts. When they finally come time to announce the king to the nation, they can't find him. They cast lots. Well, I know it's from this tribe. Well, I know it's from this family. Well, I know it's from, hey, it's a guy named Saul. Anybody seen Saul? He's hiding in the baggage. Great leader. Good job. This is all starting out very well, right? They, can, they have to pull the guy out. Hey, dude, can you come out of the baggage plate? Okay, great. You're going to be our new king. The Holy Spirit comes upon him in ferocity to fight for Israel. He's a great military leader. And then Samuel begins to step down and let the new king lead. Now, one thing I want to point out. Do you understand that the Holy Spirit was heavily involved in the Old Testament as well as the New? Right? Because we always think, oh, Pentecost, and then all this stuff happens. No, the whole Samson ripping things apart, that was the Holy Spirit. The whole Saul prophesying, that was the Holy Spirit. All the prophets moving in the power of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is all over the Bible. Please make sure you're aware of that, all right? So turn to chapter 12, 1 Samuel 12, 12. 1 Samuel 12, 12. Samuel's about to step out of leadership, hand over, and he wants everyone to be very clear on the rules. Verse 12, to, nation, to Israel, when you saw that Nahash, the king of the Ammonites, came against you in war, you said to me, we want a king to reign over us. 
when the Lord your God was your king. And now behold the king whom you have chosen, Saul, for whom you have asked. Behold, the Lord has set a king over you. Now, if you will fear the Lord and serve him and obey his voice and not rebel against the commandment of the Lord, and if both you and the king who reigns over you will follow the Lord your God, it will be well. But... If you will not obey the voice of the Lord, but rebel against the commandment of the Lord, then the hand of the Lord will be against you and your king. Now that's something you don't want, right? You don't want God against you. So what was his point? Listen, we all got ourselves into this situation. We picked out a king. Great. Now what? You guys do it right. This leader needs to have their eyes on God and they need to live in obedience to him. That is the rule. If it goes like that, we can make it through this unscathed. But if you do not, I want to be real clear. All hell is going to break loose on you. All right? Now, there are some things that God uses to be a blessing, but because we don't use them properly, they become a curse. For example... There are many that of us that are single. 30% of our church is single. And when you look out, you go, I just want someone to share a life with. You may ultimately find someone that the Lord brings to you that you can share your life with. They're supposed to be a blessing. But if you do not do it the Lord's way, if you do not have a relationship that honors the Lord, that blessing can very quickly become a curse It was always supposed to be a present, but when it's mishandled, a blessing can become a curse. Does that make sense? We just need to keep it in the Lord's groove. All right, so Saul is installed as king. He has another big war with the Philistines, snaps the neck of their empire, God's fulfillment of everything he needed. But now two things go down really bad. Saul, a warrior king is going to have a fight with another group. And he's nervous about it. Now, Saul is not exactly a godly guy. He's got the Holy Spirit on him, but you can have the Holy Spirit anoint you and you're still not a very good character person. Let's just be clear on that. So he's not a very good guy and he's super nervous all the time that something's going to go wrong. So he's going to go into a war And Samuel says, before you go, you need the honor and blessing of God. So we need to offer a sacrifice. You know that I always do that for you. I'm the God guy. You're the leader guy. Samuel's late. And he's like, man, we got to go. Everybody's looking at me. We got to head out to war. Time's ticking. Samuel, dude, you're late. You know what? Forget it. I'm doing it myself. And he offers the sacrifice. Up walks Samuel. He's like, why is the fire lit? You were late. That's why the fire's lit. You know you don't offer fire before the Lord. That's my job. Yeah, well, you were late. Yeah, well, you were disobedient. And I'm going to tell you right now, I know you just got rolling in this king thing, but I'm telling you, your heart was just revealed. God could have established your throne for generations. You're done. Just like that. God doesn't want a man like you. Man, talk about brutal, right? A little later on, he has another battle and God says, when you destroy these people, I don't want any intermixing. I don't want their stuff to make you wealthy. I want my nation to handle it all on its own. I want you to burn everything. Saul fights the battle. He wins and brings back the best of the other nation. Samuel's sitting there and he hears, he goes, what's that I hear? Is that a bunch of animals? Did you just bring home the best of the other nation? What did God tell you? He told me to burn everything. Why didn't you? Because that's stupid. That's not economically appropriate. Man, that's good stuff. Look at the sheep. Look at his face. He didn't do anything wrong. (laughs) At that moment, Samuel says, you see, you keep proving why God doesn't Want you and he turns to go away and Samuel uh, Saul grabs his coat and tears it and Samuel goes that's right the kingdom's torn away from you and he's got another dude and you're not it 
Man, talk about paranoia, right? That starts settling into the heart. The Holy Spirit leaves Saul and God starts picking someone else. Two things on this. The first one is we all have a temptation to change allegiances of our king to fit in with everyone around us. Why did Israel want a king? Well, everybody else has a king. Why do they need that? Well, because that's how everyone else does it. Now, you and I try to have this attitude like we're all maverick, right? I'm my own person. I don't care what everybody else does. That is not true. Look at how you run your life. Is it look like Jesus? Not really. What are we focused on? Well, we save for retirement. We make sure everything is in the bank and we do all that. Why do you do that? Well, because that's what you're supposed to do. How do you know that? Did God tell you that? No, it's what everyone else does. So that's what you do. Well, that's wise and responsible. Who told you that? Everybody else. We order our lives and fit in to what else is going on. At some point, we end up in this place where we're no longer concerned about daily bread. We're not praying about anything. We have storehouses full. We're good. And our hearts go away. Here's my point. You think you're independent, but look at your lifestyle and how similar it is to everyone else in the world. Why do you do what you do? Because everyone else does it. There are some things that Christians ought to be unique in. Now, not everything. We don't always have to be weird for weird's sake. But there are certain things that God says, I need you to trust me on this. And I need you to be different. I don't care what everyone else is doing. Here's the other thing. Saul let fear make him cave in his allegiance and took back the throne of his own life. God said, don't offer fire until Samuel gets there. Didn't matter. He did it his own way. Why? Fear. Fear can make us change allegiances. How many times have you thought, I'm in my job. I'm going to get fired unless I do this unethical thing. So you do it. Why? Because you're afraid. You caved on God because you got afraid. Third thing, Saul was told to burn everything, but that didn't sit right in his mind. It sounded stupid and economically a bad decision. So he went his own way and not God's way. Have you ever done that? There are a bunch of you that don't give to the Lord. Why? Because you think it's economically stupid. Why would I give 10% of my stuff? Why would I give more than 10% of my stuff to God's work? He doesn't need my money and you keep rationalizing it going around. Well, I don't even have that much money anyway and blah, 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 blah. All right, listen, you can rationalize it all you want. Here's the problem. Did God say it or did God not say it? I understand it's economically stupid because I'm not promising you that if you give to the Lord that he's going to give you money. It might just make you more poor, right? That's it. But here's what I'm telling you. Money is owning your heart. It was never about the money in the first place. It was about the greed that's sticking in your spirit. But you keep rationalizing it and thinking it's a poor money choice. It wasn't about the money. Instead of us being more brilliant, we need to be more obedient. Does that make sense? Because we keep switching allegiances based on what's going on in our lives. Let's be very careful of that. All right, last thing I want to point out. Saul falls into being a madman, but he's still king. You know, we always think that, well, God's in charge, so it all should go his way. Do you understand a whole bunch of stuff in the world is not going God's way? You always look around, you're like, well, I guess it's God's fault. Hold up. We keep screwing stuff up. That's not God's fault. God is fixing things and he's ultimately going to fix things, but he's not done yet. So there's a lot of stuff in this world that's not going right. There's a lot of leadership in our world. It could even be your boss and they're not good people, but God allows them to be in leadership. Why? Let me give you a quick insight on this. Do you understand that Saul was a king God chose because he fit the people? David is the king God chose because it fit God. The the nation deserved Saul. Y'all following that? A lot of times we have leadership we deserve, not always the one that God wants. All right, let's keep moving forward. Let's pick it up in King David, right? Here we go. We'll go through this rather quickly. 
David has a very unusual start as well. Samuel is told, Saul's out, grab a new one. I want you to head out over to this area, meet with this guy named Jesse. He's got a billion kids and he's got a bunch of sons. So go find him. So he goes and he's like, hey, can I have a lineup of your sons? Which is totally creepy anyway. And he has the first older one. He's like, hmm, that's a good looking young man. And he's like, I think he might be king, right? Because isn't that how we pick kings? And then uh, the Lord's like, no, not that dude. So he's like, all right, let's move on. That one, no, 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 no. Goes through all of them. He's like, uh, these guys aren't it. Do you have any more? And he's like, well, we got the runt. <laughs> he's like, well, where's the runt? Well, we left him out in the field. We don't really think about him too much. <laughs> well, that's David, right? And he's like, well, you got to go get him. So they call for him and he comes running up. Hi, guys, you know. Now, he's a good-looking young kid, but he's, you know, he's a little smaller, a little younger, right? Not exactly very kingly-looking. And God goes, that's my man. Quit looking at the outside. Look at the inside. Ah, Well, sure enough, the Holy Spirit leaves Saul, comes on David. A tormenting spirit is sent on Saul. And what happens? We have the David and Goliath story. David comes on the scene. He meets Saul. He becomes a king-killer. That's embarrassing to Saul. But Saul is tormented by this bad spirit. And guess what? David plays a mean lute. Right? You understand what I'm talking about? He's just all da-ling, da-ling, da-ling. And he's like, yeah, everybody, check this out, right? And everyone's getting all calm. So every time he would be tormented, he'd be like, you got to get that kid that plays that thing, right? And the little harp thing. And he's like, go to sleep, right? And he's playing his little harp. So all of a sudden he gets into the palace, ends up marrying Saul's daughter. Now the whole families are united, but then Saul goes ballistic and starts trying to kill him. David goes on the run for over a decade. You guys, when you think, I wish I had a call from God, I wish I had a call from God, there you go. There's his call from God. He just got anointed king, and for 17 years his life is horrible. David's not going to become king right away. He has to wait a super, super long time. Eventually, Saul dies. David becomes king. First of the south, then everybody. You know how long you have to wait for a fulfillment of the Lord? A lot of you got a word a long time ago, and you're still waiting on it. Man, just remember Moses got called at 80. Right? There are some of you that ain't there yet. All right. Last thing you need to know about David as we close out and and hit Solomon real fast. David was awesome as a king. He was awesome with his heart. He was dismal at home. You guys, we have eight wives that are named. We don't know how many other ones there are, but that's just asking for dysfunction, right? You know what I'm saying? Like, I would never go beyond seven, personally. I mean, he's just asking for trouble, right? Uh, he has 21 kids named. We don't know how many others he had, but by the time he hands off his kingdom to Solomon, Solomon has to kill his half-brother, and there's bloodshed, and there's all kinds of chaos. Here's the point. He was a terrible dad. Is it possible to have a really good guy that loves the Lord that's just a mess at home? Yeah, there sure is. You guys, how we parent matters because he pours all that dysfunction right into his kids. King Solomon, whose real name was Jedidiah, I didn't know if you knew that, but his name means beloved of the Lord. He takes the throne around 16 to 18 years old. As I said, he kills his half-brother Adonijah, who was really in line for the throne. He deposes the high priest. He kills the commander of his dad's army, Joab, and he has a whole regime change. He's so young that he calls out in a vision to God, and God says, what do you want? He said, I need wisdom. I can't do this. And God bestows upon him wisdom that he is the wisest man on the face of the earth. That's pretty awesome. God says, since you didn't ask me for cash, I'm going to pour that on you too. You're going to be so blessed. And so he builds a temple for God. Remember David wanted to build a temple for God? And God said, nope, your son can, but not you. Y'all, when you look at Jerusalem on the map, there's that big gold dome. It's called the dome on the rock. The rock is the foundation of of the first temple. That's what Solomon built. Now, Herod tore it down and added to it and all this stuff and made the big fancy one. But just know that even today you can go over there and all this stuff matters. What is on the motto flag of Israel but the star of David? All this stuff is legit. Still going on today. But what happened to Solomon? 
His dad had eight wives and 21 kids. Solomon had, what, 700 wives and 300 concubines. Man, that is a lot of women, right? Now, it was not like they were all in the house at the same time, right? Right? Uh, I'm not supposed to see you till April, right? Like May? What are we? Most of those were political. It was kind of like, yeah, 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 I married your daughter. That's cool. I'm sure she's sweet. Anyway, you know, it is like I never even met her. That's fine. So there was a bunch of stuff like that. But he did everything that kings weren't supposed to do. Wisest man in the world. Total failure at home. By the time we get done with him, he tries to put his son Rehoboam in his place. But God has another idea. And the nation schisms in two. That's next week. All right. So can I have the prayer team come on up here as we close out? Hope you guys are enjoying this series. I find this stuff fascinating. I love it. All right. So here's the most important thing that we need to carry. We're at the beginning of a beautiful and wonderful nation, a nation with so much potential, and it's all going to fall apart. Why? Because a switch of king allegiance. Their kings are going to ruin them. They don't want God anymore. They want people, and people will always let them down. I don't think the problem was so much that they chose a king. It's that their heart went away from their original king a long time before that. So we close out with this question. Have you moved on from God? Right? Because there's a million temptations to do so. Have you moved on? Are your allegiances shifted? Who are you following? Who's your real king? You know, after this, if you're brand new, I'd love to see you up at Introducing Bridgeway upstairs in room one. But I'm just going to close us with prayer here and pray that this team is anointed, that whatever needs you would have that you would bring to our heavenly king, that with the resources of heaven and the power and authority that he bestows upon us as his body, may that be present for you today. Please do not leave without getting some prayer for the needs that you have. Let's pray. Holy Spirit, you are the one that empowers. You are the one that walks with your church. You're the one that lives within our chest. That God, that you are mighty and wonderful, extraordinary and majestic. And sometimes, Lord, we forget about that. We look at all the leaders around us and we think they're really in charge. God, you're the only one in charge. You're the only one true king. And right here in a moment of clarity, we want to align our hearts with you. We say to you, yes, sir. May it be so here on earth as it is in heaven. Would you anoint this altar that, Father, they would be the ambassadors of the kingdom of God and they would reign heaven through their prayers. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.